Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. If you happen to not have been here last Sunday morning, it's uh, imperative that you know that this is the second of a two-part lesson, and uh, I'm going to catch you up to speed very briefly as we review a little bit of what we talked about last Sunday morning, but before we do that, let me just look at you. I tell you what, it's, it's, so, it's so wonderful to be here, and, I, and to know that there are those who are online who are worshiping with us, uh, but to just be able to sit and, and I thought that after a few weeks, maybe the euphoria that I experienced the first Sunday back would kind of wear off a little bit. It hasn't. It's just I'm over, overjoyed to see every single one of you here this morning and again to know that many are worshiping still at home. We're going to get past this thing, folks. We just need to stay strong. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just up a few chapters from the passage that Brandon read. And uh, to dispel any concern, he read exactly the right text, the one we asked him to read, and we're going to be looking at that in just a moment. But I want you to know what we talked about for just a little while uh, before we get into t- today's lesson. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7 through 9, Paul wrote this, and, and I think it would be safe to say that almost all of what Paul wrote uh, in, in this second letter to the Corinthians seems to be uh, autobiographical. He's talking about his own relationship to the Lord, uh, the importance of these people in his life, and, and I think you'll find that to be true in this text. But we have this treasure, he says, verse 7, in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So again, Paul is writing about his own experience, but also the shared experience that many of those in his Corinthian audience would also be able to relate to. And I've read that text again this morning so that we'll kind of have that in front of us. And, and uh, that'll make sense when I give you a brief overview of what we talked about last Sunday morning. You know, it's one thing to get knocked down physically. It's quite another to get knocked down spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. And Paul knew what that felt like. I mean, from his own experience. He wasn't writing to, some, to, to people about something that uh, he did, had no experience in. In fact, if you go over sometime on your own and read chapter 11 of this same book, you will see a litany, a cataloging of things that Paul experienced. Some of the persecutions that he went through because of his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his commitment and determination to continue to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul knew what what all of that was about. And the first thing that we looked at last Sunday morning that's important about this text is that Paul refers to the Christians then and now as jars of clay. Uh, Some versions actually say cracked pots. Now that's not cracked pots. That's cracked pots. There's another sermon about cracked pots. I'll save that for later. But Paul is, is referring to every one of us as, 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 as 
jars of clay or as cracked pots. And we need to know that because it's imperative, I believe, in understanding the text. That just means that we're, every one of us, if we're, if we're Christians, we're like uh, a container that houses the, the wonderful treasure of Jesus Christ within ourselves. And, and we embody Jesus as we walk in this world for him. So that's important for us to know, to understand this whole scenario. Uh, but don't forget the, the importance of knowing that we are cracked. Paul says you need to know that we're flawed. We're, we're imperfect, and yet still God chooses to display his power and his purpose in our lives. I don't know about you. That's humbling, isn't it? To know that as flawed as I am, as imperfect as I am, to know how many times I make the wrong choice, the wrong turn at the fork of the road, that God can still use me. In fact, Paul later in his own experience would say, out of my weakness has come strength. So Paul came to realize and to embrace his weaknesses, recognizing that God was able to use those according to his will in a great and a powerful way. So Paul mentions four sources of pain that, that we might experience too, and that was the sum and the substance of our lesson last Sunday morning. First of all, let me mention those if I can very briefly. We may be cracked by personal pressures. Paul says we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Secondly, we may be cracked by personal frustrations. Paul wrote that he had been perplexed, but still he was not in despair. He, we may be cracked by personal attacks, that is, the, the controversial and abrasive relationship that we may have with others because of our faith. Paul said that he had been persecuted, but not abandoned. By the way, parenthetically, let me add that one of the greatest texts, I think, that addresses that situation would be Hebrews thirteen five, where our God has said, I will never under any circumstances ever leave you or forsaken you. Paul says, I know that's true. I, I've never been abandoned, despite the low points that I've experienced in my life. And then finally, he says, we may be cracked by personal failures. Paul said he'd been struck down, but not destroyed. I, I, and we noted that the, this last source of personal hardship just may well be the most difficult of all for us to deal with. Because while there are a lot of things that can knock us down in life, and Paul has made a list here for us, nothing knocks us down, I think, quite as low or for quite as long as our own bad choices, as our own personal failures. And so Paul adds that to the list. Then we talked about, for just a moment, the movie Rocky back in 1976 and, and why that has touched so many people and spawned so many sequels and why it resonated with so many audiences worldwide was the fact that Rocky just wouldn't quit. I mean, he would get knocked down and knocked down and knocked down and every time he would get back up and just keep fighting one more round. It, it's a little bit like the West Texas rancher who was hiring a new cowhand uh, the evaluation and the interview process is quite a bit different than what you would experience in an office. So the rancher who was looking at this cowhand to see how he handled himself around horses was sitting on the top rail of the corral and watching the, the new guy uh, try to break in a bronco. It's important that you realize that the bronco didn't want to be broken in. And so this cowboy had been bucked off like six or eight times, and every time he would just get up, Brush himself off with his hat, you know, and he would get back on. The ranch owner then at that point looked over at the ranch foreman and said, there ain't no quit in that boy. That needs to be said of each of us spiritually. We need to, we need to realize how imperative it is that we persevere in our faith, 
Because there are going to be times, and Paul acknowledges that in last week's text as well as in this week's text, that there are going to be times when it will be very, very difficult for you to maintain your discipleship, your commitment, as well as your integrity. And he wants us to know that if we decide to take up this, this spiritual mantle and to walk in the world for Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. In fact, we mentioned last week that it's not God's ultimate purpose to make our lives easy. I reminded you again that God wants his people to maturate and not to hibernate. So there will be some pain and there will be some disappointment and there will be some opposition if we continue to follow Jesus faithfully. But I also need to tell you that God has a wonderful and a powerful purpose in your pain. And that's what I want us to talk about for just a few minutes this morning. This isn't going to take very long at all. But there's a text here that deals with that that Brandon read a moment ago. So if you don't mind, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and you'll be ready when we address that text. So Paul is telling us God has a purpose in our pain. And that pain question, the, the why do good people suffer question, has been around for centuries. And it's a question that never really goes away. We still address that problem today, don't we? In fact, I mentioned last week that Charlie Body just did a series online for us along that very subject. We look around at us and we see all the tragedy and all the struggles that we or maybe others are, are experiencing. And we have to wonder, as the title of the book goes, why do bad things happen to good people? That question is still being asked with the same degree of urgency as it was asked centuries ago. By the way, I'm sure that you've noticed that about the pandemic, haven't you? That it's not just bad people who are suffering and dying from COVID-19. There are some wonderfully good people who have also experienced that. And even some who have died from it. It's not just bad people who are suffering. And there's so many things that God wants to, us to discover when pain comes our way. So let me mention just three for your consideration this morning. First of all, Paul tells us in our text that pain forces us to rely on God alone. Now, I'm going to reread the text, but from a different version. I, I hope that you'll see the nuances of difference here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about why Paul says we face this kind of pain and this kind of pressure in our lives. He said, we think that you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought that we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped, watch this carefully, notice the transformation that takes place in this very statement. We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Did you notice how he threw in God's divine credentials in that last statement? Please appreciate at the deepest level what we have just read. Rely only on God who raises the dead. Paul's point, I think, is quite clear. If God can raise the dead, why would any of us, as his children, ever want to rely on anything or anyone else? What is it that God can't do if he can speak the dead back to life again? And the answer is absolutely nothing. And I remind you that nothing is zero with all the edges trimmed off. There is absolutely nothing that God can't do if he can raise the dead. Well, maybe you're in a tight spot right now. Maybe you're feeling some of the pressure that Paul experienced. Maybe you understand what it's like to live in conflict because of your faith. And in fact, it may seem as if the world is caving in on you. 
right now. I talk to people on a weekly basis who've experienced that very thing. And maybe, maybe God is trying desperately to get our attention. You ever thought about that? Sometimes I think that there are things that happen to us that are out of the norm, that are out of the routine, just so that God can get our attention and to bring us back and to bring our minds and our focus back to what's most important in life. I know that's true with me. Otherwise, if I just keep going through life and if I keep uh, nothing ever bad happens to me, if there are no bumps in the road, then I'll just keep breezing right along and never really think about those things that matter the most. Maybe, maybe it's because you're running away from God and his purposes in your life is why God is trying to get your attention and, and to call you back home to him and to his side. I know that was the case with Jonah in the Old Testament. You know the story. In fact, if you don't, then sometime when we're reconvening our classes, you go into one of the smallest classes and they'll probably be talking about him, about Jonah and the great fish. You, you may remember that in that Old Testament account, he wanted to run and hide from God and from his spiritual obligations. But, th- but then we find ourselves in a tight spot and we wonder what we ought to do. Now, I'm not going to re-preach a lesson about Jonah and the great fish this morning, but I do want you to remember Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Every time I read through that short little book, I always get stuck on chapter 2 and verse 1 because it's worth thinking about. Here's what it says. From inside the fish... Jonah cried out to the Lord his God. Did you get that? From inside the fish. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have made it to the gullet before I was crying out to God. In fact, I saw a fish that's big enough to swallow me. I think I'd have been crying out right then. And if I didn't know how to swim, I think I'd learn to swim real quick. Some of us are so stubborn that we wait until we're inside the fish before we're willing to do anything about the dire nature of our situation. We we wait until we get to the point of total desperation before we cry out to God, just like Jonah did. Let's not be that way. Let's recognize the place of, in fact, the person of our dependence. And, And Paul says it is in God alone, and we need to keep coming back to that over and over again. Not just in our Bible study, folks, but in our lives. Our reliance is in Christ alone. And once we come to understand that, I think a new day will dawn in our spiritual lives. Listen to the words of this song by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. I don't know the tune, but don't worry, I wouldn't sing it anyway. But the words, I think, are worth noting. You are not a God created by human hands. You're not a God dependent on any mortal man. You're not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are a God alone from before time began. You were on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne and you are God alone. You're the only God whose power none can contend. You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God and that's just the way it is. I think that's a reiteration really of what Paul is saying in our text It's in God alone that our trust must be. And sometimes when we suffer and when we experience some pain in our lives, that will turn us back to the God who can raise the dead. 
So if you miss the point of those lyrics, let me tell you again, here it is. If he is God alone and he is, then we can and should rely on him alone. Here's the second point I think that Paul gives us. And that is that when we have suffering and pain in our lives to any degree, but especially the more pain and the more suffering there is. I mean, when the dial really gets turned up to 11, if you know what I mean. When you really begin to experience some, some tribulation and some trouble and some difficulty, and especially if you're experiencing that, and we're going to note this in just a moment, because of your Christianity, you will come to realize at that moment that my Christianity and my discipleship is not going to somehow immunize me from the difficulties of life. Jesus said in John, 13, John 16, 33, in this world you have trouble or tribulation, but be of good, good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that's a passage we need to put on our refrigerators and, and put in our minds because it will get us through some troubled times. Pain can focus our attention, secondly, on heaven. To realize that we are not citizens of this world, that this world is not my home, we're just a passing through, as the song says. So I think one of the real beauties of this passage from which we've taken our text is, is in my mind how Paul speaks the truth about the reality of facing the big challenges in life. But you'll also notice that in the midst of this warning and these instructions, he gives us some wonderful words of comfort. And I think we'd be remiss in our study together this morning if we did not note that. Paul says, let me help you out a little bit. Let me give you something that will strengthen you spiritually and mentally and emotionally if you're going through a tough time, and especially if you're going through a tough time because you're following Jesus. If you don't mind, turn over a, a few chapters in this same book and see the recurring theme in chapter 4, this time verses 16 through 18. Here's what Paul said. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and don't last very long. And yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And so we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Can I get an amen? Isn't that a wonderful passage? I mean, that's one that we ought to commit to heart and think about every day of our lives. And folks, what a cosmic pity it is that so many people in our day, especially here in America, believe that, that this life is the only life that we'll ever experience. I can't imagine living each day like that. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I can't imagine living any day like that with no hope with no understanding or appreciation for the fact that God has said, I I'm going and I I'm making, building mansions for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, there you may be also, John chapter 14, 1 through 3. It is a reality. It is a fact born of inspiration in the mind of every child of God that there is a better place than this, and we need to understand that. It's been pointed out that the atheist must acknowledge that what he experiences in this life is the very best that he will ever know because he doesn't believe in an afterlife. While those of us who are theists, who are believers, we know with certainty that what we experience in this life 
is the very worst that we will ever experience. After this life, folks, it just gets better and better. And I'm happy to be the one to stand and proclaim that to you this morning, to know that God has prepared a place for us where we don't have to worry about COVID-19. We don't have to worry about rioting in the streets. We don't have to worry about locking our doors so that nobody steals our stuff. We don't have to worry about our physical lives being perpetuated, hopefully, because... uh, Someone is, is trying to take our lives, and, and, and we prevented that. We don't have to worry about any of those things. Those are not concerns that we will know and will experience in that world. And, folks, if we're experiencing trouble in this life, it ought to do one thing for us at least, and that is point our minds to a better place and, and to do so in a longing, anticipatory fashion. For the Christian, the outlook, when the outlook is bad, then we can try the uplook. And when the pain is too much to bear, when you feel like you can't stop crying, when your heart has been so burdened and so weighed down with a suffering that just naturally comes with life, we can change our focus and we can begin to concentrate on heaven. And I know there aren't too many verses that deal with heaven, nor that describe it. By the way, I I was in a, or attending a lectureship one time when one of my favorite professors, when I was in, in college, Let's pose the question in an open forum. Why do you think there isn't more information in the Bible that describes heaven for us? Since that's the place where every child of God longs to be, why doesn't the Bible give us more you know, graphic and, and more detailed descriptions and, and more material on heaven? And he said, I tell you, I can't give you a, a, a verse for it, but he said, my, in my judgment, it's because if we came to understand, just caught a glimpse of how wonderful heaven was going to be, every one of us would want to go there right now. We would be of no practical use to this earth. And God wants to use us while we're here. And so we don't have our heads in the cloud, but we do have our eyes on heaven because that's what Paul said we ought to do, especially when we're going through troubled times. And if there were no other verse in Scripture on the subject except Revelation 21.4, that would be enough for me. John is envisioning heaven... And we find the most elongated, the most details about heaven in the last two and a half chapters of Revelation than any other place in the Bible. And in that, in that context, chapter chapter 21, verse 4, John writes this, God will take away all their tears. When was the last time you cried? I mean really cried. Someone that you love, you lost. Some catastrophic news came your way, and you shed a tear. In that place, God will wipe away all their tears. There'll be no more death or sorrow, no crying, nor pain, because all the former things have passed away. All the sorrow and the pain that we experience in this life, John assures us by inspiration, we will never, ever experience again in that life. One day when George MacDonald, the great Scottish preacher and writer, was talking with his son, conversation turned toward heaven. The senior McDonald found that to be kind of the trend in his conversations as he grew into his sunset years, the more he liked to think about, talk about heaven. This day he was talking with his adult son. The conversation turned to heaven and the Bible's explanation of the end of all things. And McDonald's son said at one point, with almost a shake of the head, so awe-inspiring was the conversation. He said, it's just It's just too good to be true. And a smile crossed the older McDonald's whiskered face. And he replied, no, it's so good. 
It just has to be true. That's what Paul is telling us here. That if you just knew how beautiful and how wonderful and how mind-blowing heaven must be, he says in the passage we just read, the suffering that we experience in this life would not be worth mentioning. One third and final thing I want us to note. Paul tells us that pain forms us to be more like Christ. We can't miss that in our text. He wrote, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's not spiritual schizophrenia, folks. That's Paul saying that's the way that children of God live and act and think. That is, we not only are carrying the life of Jesus, people ought to be able to see some semblance of Jesus in us because we're trying to be transformed more and more into his image every day, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, but we're also carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. Paul, what in the world do you mean? It is a real challenge, isn't it, for every child of God. We want a pain-free life, and yet Paul says the only way that we can display the same Christ-like attitude it's through suffering. So we're going to have to suffer. But, but, but I don't want to suffer. I don't want any pain. I want to be able to go through life and not experience it. And that's not the way it works, Paul said. And, and so we have to ask ourselves when we read this wonderful text, are we at the point in our spiritual maturation that we can pray the same prayer that Paul prayed in Philippians 3 and verse 10? Here's what he prayed. I want you to know, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, here's the tough part, and the fellowship of the sharing of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And I hope you saw that. The way to become like Christ is to share in his sufferings. You're not a real believer. You're not a true follower until you have shared in the sufferings of Jesus. And so if you're going through life right now and everything is sunshine and blue sky, guess what? Your day is coming. You haven't gone through the initiation process yet. You haven't been properly vetted. The only way that we can be able to show the world what Christ is really all about is to share in his sufferings. Joni Erickson Tata may be a name familiar to some of you, she was a fantastic artist who was paralyzed early in life by a di- in a diving accident, paralyzed from the shoulders down. When she paints beautiful pictures, she does so by holding the brush in her mouth. She's also written some books about her experience. And in one of those books, she shares this, this important concept that we're talking about today. I want to I mention this to you, and then we'll move on, and we're almost through. She said, when life is rosy... We may slide by by just knowing about Jesus, with imitating him and quoting him and speaking of him, but only in suffering will we come to really know Jesus, end quote. I don't think it can be said better than that. That is so very true. It's hard to hear, but it's also true. Christ-like character cannot be formed in our lives, Paul says, without some measure of suffering. And here's the kicker. The more we suffer, the greater our potential for spiritual growth and for spiritual Christ-likeness. And so if you're sitting there thinking, man, this sermon was meant for me this morning because I've been really suffering, then guess what? You have greater potential for spiritual growth and Christ-likeness than any of the rest of us. By this way, may I say, and I probably should have said this at the very beginning of this lesson, but I'm going to say it now because this is when I thought of it. 
These two lessons have come as a response to what I have observed in our nation, in our world, in this pandemic. And I know that not everybody grieves the same way. For example, I just went to a funeral this past Monday for someone who who lost her dad. I've lost my dad August 13 years ago. But I would never, ever walk up to her and say, I know how you feel. Because I don't. Everybody grieves in different ways. And I also understand that in a larger fashion, as we've been going through this for almost six months now, that people respond to stress in different ways, to the pressure of this. And, and uh, to me, it's just been a minor and sometimes major inconvenience in having to remember to wear my mask every time I go into a store or whatever. But when I read the skyrocketing suicide rates that have been taking place right here in our own country due to the stress of this very thing, it became real. Then when I began to hear stories about people I know who have decided to end their own lives, and and a father over in Atlanta who went home and killed his family and then murdered himself, and the notes they leave where I can't handle the stress of this any longer, I realize that some people don't have the same handle that you and I have. They don't have the same degree of faith, and they don't respond to stress the same way that we do. And and, and the reason for these two lessons is not just to spend some time with you on Sunday morning, folks. This is to equip us and to fortify us and to strengthen us and to help us to be able to handle every day and whatever the stress and whatever the pressures might be, to know that there is a God who cares, and in Christ alone we can find our strength and our help in times of difficulty. The more we suffer, the greater our potential for spiritual growth. But the opposite is also sadly true. Whole, intact, unbroken, prideful, and self-centered people are of little use to God. But I'm telling you what, God can really use broken vessels just like you and me. You know, there are many of us who feel like cracked pots today, and some of us admittedly have more cracks than others. But here's some good news in all of this as we end this study. God delights in using cracked pots because those cracks allow his light to shine through. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the light of the world. And we are. And it's because of the light, the ultimate light that resides within us. And the more cracks we have in that, the more persecution and the more suffering we've gone through, the more the light of Jesus Christ should be able to shine through in our lives and benefit the lives of others. You know, some are feeling a lot of pressure right now, and some are struggling and and they're hurting because of all the personal pain that they've had to endure. And I want to encourage you to hang in there and to endure for the long haul. You may be pressured, Paul says, but you're not going to be crushed. You may be perplexed, but you will not be left in despair. You may be attacked and persecuted, but you are not going to be abandoned by God. He has given us his word. You may even get knocked down, but folks, you will not get knocked out if you determine that you're going to continue to live each day for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me use a borrowed illustration to drive this point home and then we're through. You can take two Coke cans, if you will. Please imagine a Coke can in each of my hands. And on the surface, they look the same, but there's a difference. One of them, I guess as we would say in the South, has been drunk. One of them is empty, but the other one is still full. In fact, the tab has not been bothered at all, so it's still under pressure. And you can crush one of those cans. It doesn't take much strength. Why? Because it's empty. 
It's open to the world. You can put pretty much anything you want to in an empty Coke can. And there's no internal pressure to resist the outward pressure so that it will collapse easily. And sadly, that also represents a lot of people who are spiritually empty, who are living without the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. Because when the tough times come, they're crushed. They're crushed by the pressures of this world. They can even claim to be a Christian. They can wear that sign on the outside, but on the inside there's really nothing there. They may advertise the name, but there's nothing on the inside to live up to the name that's on the outside. But if you want to crush the other can, you can't. Why? Oh, it's because it's full of something. It's full of refreshing drink that's on the inside. And it can withstand that external pressure because the drink on the inside not only equals the external pressure, it actually exceeds it. And if you want to prove that, shake that can up and then pull the tab. And you'll see what kind of pressure it's under. I, I wouldn't do that because I want Leon to be my friend. But, uh, but you've all done that. And you know what happens when you do that. Let this represent a person who is absolutely full of the life of Jesus Christ. The internal support that Jesus gives is always strong, always stronger than the external pressures of life every single time. I know that because the Bible tells me so. Listen to 1 John 4, 4, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And Jesus also said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So rejoice in the Lord this morning. Because you might get knocked down, but by the powerful presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you will never get knocked out. Let me ask you, are you ready for that kind of life? If you are, I hope that you won't wait till the pandemic is over to make the decision to become a child of God. Through your faith, your repentance, your confession of Jesus as the Son of God, we'd be delighted to baptize you into Christ this very day for the remission of every one of your sins. Or if you're a child of God who recognizes that the priorities and direction in life have gone awry, you need to get back on the Lord's highway. We've got a couple of elders here that will be happy to address your situation. We can pray for you if that's what you desire while we stand and while we sing. Praise